मां नमस्ते एक्चुअली आई एम बिट ओवर वेल्म बिकॉज ऑफ द वॉल्यूम विच वी वॉन्ट टू टेक अप टूडे एज पार्ट ऑफ द सीरीज ऑन शुरबिंदोज राइटिंग्स एंड द वॉल्यूम वी इंटेंड इज वॉल्यूम टू विच इज कलेक्टेड पोएम्स इट इज एज फॉर मी इट इज वन ऑफ माई फेवरेट वॉल्यूम्स अदर देन सावित्री एंड देर इट्स लाइक इन ओशियन वेर वेर एवरीथिंग इज ब्यूटिफुल काउंटलेस पर्ल्स सो लेट मी स्टार्ट विथ हाउ आई लुक एट शुरबिंदोज पोएम्स इन द बैकड्रॉप ऑफ द एंटायर वर्कस सो इन इंडियन ट्रेडिशन ऑल द राइटिंग्स ऑफ द ग्रेट मास्टर्स रियलाइज वंस आर रिकॉर्डेड एज the vangmay de the word body so if we take that shurbindo's writings are his word body then the poems are like the garland on the word body and this garland is of rarest of jewels and pearls which shurbindo has gathered patiently through his tapasya over years and decades and he is gifting it to earth to us so what he, what he is doing is that through the poem we are coming in contact with not just a portion of shurbindo's consciousness but one of the most fundamental core that is the beauty of a poem so we'll see this difference between a prose writing and a poetry writing poem generally a poetry generally goes through the mind so we'll see when we read a prose the mind is stirring and trying to understand by the time it actually percolates through all the different layers of the mind down into the inner being very often it is half digested so that's why the mother recommends that whenever we read shurbindo's writings equally applies to her she says that stay quiet if the mind has too many ideas with the discursive intellect rushing at every word every half a sentence every phrase and trying to find a meaning analyze it then we lose actually what is really coming down but when we are quiet then we receive it beautifully it enters into the inner being but nevertheless prose has this difficulty but poetry is of another kind poetry cuts through all this and touches the inner being so that's why sometimes when we read shurbindo's writings even the prose is like a poetry especially when we read something like the synthesis it's comes closest to poetry though it's a prose writing because it goes directly to the inner being second aspect is that if we look closely normally that there is a difference between written speech and spoken speech and it's very interesting that while shurbindo wrote largely the mother spoke largely and the difference is that in written speech what we miss is the stress on the words and when we put our own stress then it distorts the meaning and i have often give, given this example do not imagine that truth and falsehood will stay together i see how many ways it can be said do not imagine that truth and falsehood can stay totally indifferent to the whole thing another is complete extreme do not imagine that truth and falsehood can stay together now we have turned shurbindo into a super like uh, super cop <laughs> who is telling us <laughs> do not imagine so people have actually asked this question people get frightened because they add their own uh, ideas to it and the mother says that this is a language of grace 
It is not of a, you know, police saying, do not imagine. It's a language of grace that, look here, my child, do not imagine that you will continue doing all stupidities and, you know, you will still have. So, basically, he's telling us, don't <laughs> come out of this. So, the stress we put on words is missing in prose. But in poetry, poetry is by definition the stress you put on words. So that is unique to poetry. If one understands poetry and the poetic style, then poetry is like that. There is a stress on words. There is a stress on syllables. So syllable is like each um, vowel, there is a portion. Like in a word, you will have one vowel or two vowels. So each vowel, a word, a set of letters which are around that vowel are a syllable. So sometimes in one word you will have two syllables. And then there is things like dactyle. And then there is song. Then there is lyrics. So poetry, the beauty of poetry is that because it is a rhythm meter, sound is as important, in certain sense more important than the words. So poetry is never to be read like a prose. And one, you know, one example. So we have, uh, you know, just randomly I have opened and this is uh, Urvashi. So it is uh, through darkness and immense dim light, night event, mid phantom outlines of approaching trees. This is not poetry. It is poetry. But if we read like poetically, through darkness and immense dim night event, now this is the stress. So stress can be on words, stress can be on syllables. It's a whole technique and uh, science of poetry. But just as with music, if you uh, appreciate music through the scientific part, one can. Hey, look at this raga, oh what, how wonderful. And this is a kind of appreciation, very beautiful if one knows it. But you don't need to know this actually to appreciate and have the joy of poetry. Like music. So if your music is going, you just flow with its rhythm, try to catch its rhythm. And there is something within us like an inner ear and that will catch it. Like Savitri. If you really get into it, that rhythm will come. This is something which, uh, you know, like music. There are two ways people learn music. One, they go to a classical school, learn about the ragas, learn, which is the right way. I mean, the perfect way. But there are people who listen to the songs, it catches into the ear and then they pick it up. So one of the best ways to really get into the rhythm of poetry is to read poetry and to listen to poetry. So as we read poetry of different kinds, it gets into our rhythm, uh, into our ear, inner ear, and we um, will enjoy it better. So poetry has this uh, capacity to touch directly the inner being. And also because, see, normally in poetry you, you don't count how many lines, because it's a stanza which is running like this, flowing like a Ganges. But in prose, sometimes you say long sentences. You won't say this in poetry because uh, it, it bites nature, it is like that. And there are different, different styles of poetry. There are different meters. There are meters in Sanskrit. There are meters in, uh, you know, English poetry. English poetry, you have two meters. Each meter, meter is the, you know, the rhythm. And meters are defined by the number of foot. And each foot is where you stress. Lone he went. So you have to see that becomes one foot. Then second foot. We'll read some of these examples. So it's very interesting that when we read poetry, it is the meter. And meter is defined by how many foot. Padah, uh, if you want to put it in, in Hindi. So based on that, one reads and gets the beauty and the joy of it. And uh, 
uh, there again you have two two footed meter three footed meter four footed meter five footed iambic pentameter is a very common one Shakespeare has used and Shubhendra has himself used it very freely now again there are different ways of defining it I'm just giving a very quick background not that I want to go into it is the most boring part the academic part but there is something little bit like you know um, in again you will read a term called quantitative hexameter which raises a you know idea is there a qualitative hexameter yes there is but there is a difference the way you use the meter in that the stress of syllables so we have to understand that there is a different stress of syllables due to which the rhythm of a poetry changes one of the most challenging meters of english poetry is a quantitative hexameter very few people have written it in perfection and shubhendra has written an epic poem ilion running into 130 pages of solid poetry in that hexameter so we'll just read quickly as we go through little bit snippets from here and there as i said this is very tempting to read shubhendra's poem but just a little outline so shubhendra started with poetry he said at one place i am a poet and a hold your breath politician first then a philosopher so by politician he meant not politician the way we understand but one who understands the play of forces the dynamics of power because he had come to establish the divine reign upon earth so he has to understand how you know there is the dynamics balance of asuric power the cosmic powers the divine power so he he said that first but first thing is poet and we see that the first ever published writing of shubhendra is poetry and that we have read light and the last writings go on to the last writing is savitri which is of course the cosmic poem and at the age of 10 he wrote this first poem called light and the last one apparently 1947 so we can imagine that how much importance he gave to poetry when shubhendra had stopped arya comes in between there is a period but after that uh, his uh, major writings were complete but poetry continued the poems written in 30s poems written in 40s poem poems written in 20s so this was shurbindo's main way of expression mystics have used poetry as a medium primarily because of this power of poetry to go straight to the inner being the second important part of poetry poetry is it's like a mantra so when we read it in the right way like a mantra does its work it tends to do its work it is like a cry of the soul that's how poetry is poetry is not something which is descending from above it's the soul cry the soul vision the soul dynamics the soul experience so even the common experiences sometimes people feel that oh they see the title and they you know uh, nightingale to the sea so they think it's about nature read the poem and you'll see how the soul of shurbindo has looked at sea so he gives us his vision substitutes it so we also look at the sea and we say today the sea is rough today the sea is calm it is blue it is green but when chaitanya mahaprabhu saw the sea he saw in it krishna and jumped into it shobindo when he sees the sea he sees in the sea the entire play of world forces because sea in a dream represents world forces and he says oh sea i am coming to play with you and i am coming if you are a lion i will ride on you holding your mane and even if you drown me i will refuse to acknowledge defeat now when we look at uh, shubhendra's vision the lost boat every day we see a scene 
of a boat uh, you know sometime tsunami came so many houses were gone away but when we read shorbindo's poem the lost boat it's a very different poem altogether or a most common poem a tree what is a tree all around we see a tree beside the sandy river beach holding its topmost branches to the skies like fingers to the heavens they cannot reach this is the soul of man his body and brain hungry for earth his heavenly flight detain do we see that when he hears the voice of the quail so all images of nature are lifted to their sublime proportions this is the beauty of the poet so poetry is very it refines the being so shobindo says that between them art music and poetry are a perfect education for the soul so it refines us when we read poetry say when we read some of the romantic poems shobindo is written on love very few people know 10 to 14 poems of on love and what is that poem where he writes that you gave what you could one brief kiss and what i i gave what i could give a whole life now just imagine that what is the power of that poem that very says that he who uh, gives something in return of something is a shopman's heart he doesn't know love all the shades and moods so in a way we are connecting with different dimensions it is the best way to understand shobindo's own life how all the experiences are here his experiences at baroda when he looks at the uh, you know we know that we have read about that ki he looked at uh, in baroda at that um, uh, image of kali and he experienced the world mother this how shobindo is described right now let us see how he describes this in in his poem so the stone goddess if somebody can quickly when i say just take it out the stone goddess yes okay meanwhile i can read about this 608 right excellent so we have this stone goddess 608 608 just see now we have read this experience most people have read this experience in prose form now look at when shurbindo speaks of it in a poetic form what he would have really experienced he has said when i saw i saw the world mother what does it mean so here he writes the stone goddess in a town of gods housed in a little shrine it's actually very small shrine from sculptured limbs the godhead looked at me now you look at the very first description normally we think that he went he saw and he had the vision of the divine mother but he suddenly sees that the divine mother is staring at him a living presence deathless and divine a form that harbored all infinity the great world mother and her mighty will inhabited the earth's abysmal sleep now you see now it is no more why because stone so stone the earth so through that when you invoke the divine presence in in a stone it is actually in matter that you are bringing that goddess so she is inhabiting earth's abysmal sleep voiceless omnipotent 
inscrutable mute in the desert and the sky and deep so suddenly there is the vision of the divine mother becoming this material creation and this material nature now veiled with mind she dwells and speaks no word now she has become universalized so much later in synthesis you will write that we he would write that uh, you know when we love the divine we must have the universal vision of the divine so how the divine is everywhere and in everything hiding until our soul has seen has heard the secret of a strange embodiment what is this strange embodiment this whole creation is her embodiment one in the worshiper and the immobile shape so <laughs> look at the light one in the worshiper and the immobile shape a beauty and mystery flesh or stone can drape he is not saying flesh nor stone can drape flesh or stone can drape either you can make it in a with your consciousness in a sculpture or you can do it in the very body a house of flesh two temples which can be built for the stone god for the goddess and since we are at it we see so many uh, descriptions of you know gods and goddesses in in our uh, in hindu thought and we have shiva now in shiva's he has number of poems the natraj the cosmic dancer the you know the creator then the from the inconscient he is rising and one is epiphany that is remarkable shiva in his two forms as asutosh and shiva as rudra but this one the next very next on the white summit of eternity now the mountain kalash we have all read but the white summit of eternity a single soul of bare infinities i am not going into description of the poem because we are having a whole series on that two series so i am just resisting back but just the joy of it guarded he keeps by a fired screen of peace this not the peace of a dead person fired screen tapasya tremendous tapasya you can't approach him you have the fired screen so it's just not like you will go to mount kailash and do this pranam it's enough his mystic loneliness of nude ecstasy shiva is regarded as you know uh, he is nude he just wears a bagambar otherwise he is in that state but now we have the shiva and parvati coming together but touched by an immense delight to be he looks across unending depths and seas musing amid the inconscient silences the mighty mother's dumb felicity so this is the material nature now you see shivlingam mighty mother's dumb felicity the joy which is there in material nature he sees looking across the silences half now awake she rises to his glance so she begins to rise you see a entire mystic process there the kundalini is there half now uh, under the eyes gaze of the lord she begins to rise because she has to travel to the lord then move to circling by her heartbeats will she circles across the rhythmic worlds describe that passion dance as she climbs worlds are created and you know this the entire process within us life springs in her in material nature life springs and mind is born her face she lifts to him who is herself until 
the spirit leaps into the spirit's embrace. Ever seen a description of Kundalini like this? Everywhere you'll hear, there is a serpent, three and a half feet, coils up. But look at the three and a half feet. Matter, life, mind, and then it lifts the head. Kundalini, the whole serpent is awake. So what does it do? By lifting the head, looks at the Lord who has called her and then realizes, oh, this is me and merges into him. But goes by the poem Shiva. What a wonderful poem this is about, you know, something, deep mystic truth. And then Krishna. At last, I find a meaning of soul's birth. Everybody says, what is the purpose of life? We are born only to die. Very pessimistic views. But look here what Shurabindu says, I have found the meaning of soul's birth. At last I have found the meaning of soul's birth into this universe, terrible and sweet. <laughs> look at this. It is terrible, but it is sweet also. You can't just say it is terrible. Into this universe, terrible and sweet, I who have felt the hungry heart of earth, what is the hunger that earth has nourished which never gets satisfied? It is there within us, that hunger, insatiable hunger. Whatever we may get in life, still that hunger remains. Aspiring beyond heaven to Krishna's feet. What a marvel of line this is. I have seen the beauty of immortal eyes. He has seen Krishna. He has seen the beauty of those eyes and heard the passion of the lover's flute. So what happens when we hear Krishna's flute? People can say, I had this experience, I had that experience. Yes, but there will be an effect of that experience. There should be a change of consciousness. So what, what change takes place when we have really seen Krishna? And known a deathless ecstasy, surprise and sorrow in my heart forever mute. Because you have seen the glory of the glories of ecstasy, of ananda. How can there be place for sorrow? Nearer and nearer, now the music draws. Now he is coming nearer, the flute. Um, life shudders with a strange felicity. Whole life is, you know, feeling that thrill and ecstasy of the Lord coming. All nature is a wide, enamored pause. It is waiting. See, this is Radha's wait. All nature is a wide, enamored pause, hoping her Lord to touch to clasp, to be. This is the state of Radha. In perfect surrender. When will the Lord come? But one day he will come. He will touch. He will clasp and become one with me. So he is waiting in that state. For this one moment lived the ages past. The world now throbs fulfilled in me at last. So each of them is a marvel. And as I said, one has to resist the temptation. But since I have read about Krishna... Must read something on Radha, especially because today is Radha Ashtami. But <laughs> so this poem is written very early. Krishna is written later. This poem is sometime in Baroda, early period of Baroda. And uh, the name of there are two poems on Radha. They are written on um, some words of Chandidas, very well known uh, Krishna Bhakt. But uh, it's the, something has been taken from there, the sense. But Shirobindra has given, it's not a translation of his poetry, but he has given its own beauty. So we have read about Radha's prayer, isn't it? Most of us know that perfect surrender. Now this is what Shirobindra writes about Radha, page 32. 
these are songs to metila so that we have already spoken about metila is a shrub which is a perennial shrub and this set of collection which is written in england and baroda comes under that and they are very sweet radha's complaint in absence is very beautiful but uh, i'll read radha's appeal radha's appeal she is appealing to whom to krishna what is she appealing oh love what more shall i shall radha speak since mortal words are weak i have spoken what i had to speak now i can't speak any more because whatever i may speak sounds superfluous what i am feeling is something too deep in life in death in being and in breath no other lord but thee can radha seek see mother's radha's prayer and look at how shrivindos andas <laughs> how he is we make him a philosopher very you know thinker who is shrivind is a lover before anything else and look at that love in life in death in being and in breath even in breath with every breath what am i seeking no other lord but thee can radha seek this is called abhi abhi charini bhakti abhi vakt vyakti bhakti where there is no division of any kind about thy feet the mighty net is wound wherein my soul they bound myself resigned to servitude my mind my heart than thine no sweeter slavery found you have made a net <laughs> this is your net my soul is wound in it okay i have resigned myself <laughs> so life or death sorrow or pleasure whatever you give me i have no choice i receive it and accept it you have created the net you have to free me from it meanwhile i am your slave and then he brings the such a marvel of um, human and the divine and look at the image how beautifully sir bindu conjures and combines the most human carnal aspect of love with the most sublime and divine only he can do it nobody else can do it if one brief moment steal thee from my eyes all the time i want to see you one brief moment if it happens my heart within me dies now you see the gopi's vastra haran look at it how shrivindu describes it if one brief moment steal thee from my eyes my heart within me might me dies as girls who keep the treasures of the deep i string thee round my neck and on my bosom prize i want to hold you i will not let you go i string thee round my neck like a garland i embrace you and i am keeping your head on my bosom as the prize you dare not go if one moment you vanish it means death for me this is radha so radha is not all this you know prayer we keep seeing sometimes you know it it's a bit um, uh, i won't use the word annoying but what has happened you know happy radhaashtami day happy this what does radha represent one moment of that if we can live in our life 
just one moment that is called paying tribute to radha not going to mandir and again singing all those bhajans that you know radha rani aayengi and you know all those ras <laughs> radha ke bina without radha there is no krishna but get into that state where everything we see is divine even the net she says you have wound the net around you what can i do helplessly i am caught but there even there i am your slave nobody else is slave and i am keeping my treasures for whom for you like girls who keep the treasures of the deep and we see the you know reference obvious reference so there are poems like that and um, um then there are interesting poems which are narrative poems so narrative poems are basically stories so story generally told by a single person so it's a story which is told in a poetic way so we have narrative poems urvashi love and death we all have uh, i think um, read it again these are long poems um baji prabhu is another very powerful poem and then we have sonnets from manuscripts so sonnets are 14 line poems and we have just read two of the sonnets i'm just quickly before we read some of the poems so it is disc- uh, here it is categorized in terms of the dates which is okay that's a academic way of looking at it then there are poem which can be arranged according to theme like there are several places it's on krishna uh, i mean my preference is with theme because it's a feeling that as if uh, shurbindo was growing like a child it's okay i mean there may be some truth in it but somebody who at 10 is writing this poem whose lines we have read that uh, you know the very first poem at 10 when he is writing from the quickened womb of the primal gloom the sun rolled black and bare till i wove him a vest for his ethio breast of the threads of my golden hair and when the broad tent of the firmament arose on its airy spars i penciled the hue of its matchless blue and sprinkled it around with stars so you know it's it's uh, not just a 10 year old uh, so but they have arranged it probably for from academic point of view it may be useful i don't know so we have also sonnets here sonnets there so it's a bit um, difficult to navigate through the present volume but the previous volume it was very easy like sonnets they are all together you have long poems uh, together but now you have to look for it here and there it's not easy to uh, read through but whatever it be everybody has their own logic and uh, so then as i was saying that there are poems which are one of the marvelous poems is the rishi must read so this rishi describes a um, when civilization collapsed we must have read no that there are seven continents are there seven or five so five are inhabited the two continents one lemurian and the other atlantic kings so they have ice ages come over them so when we read about this uh, arctic pole so probably it was flourishing at one point of time but the ice age came and there was migration which we read about you know uh, there is a whole book by um, bal gangadhar tilak on the arctic migration migration is not invasion we must understand the difference invasion is where you come there are local people and you drive them out but there was most of the parts were uninhabited so these were the original aryan forefathers of this earth and when ice age settled they started coming down through russia some went to iran and others came to india 
and that's how a new civilization began to sprang up but they carried these and there are evidence in iran there used to be fire worship now of course it's all gone and in um, russia there are many terms in russian which are close to sanskrit and then they came down to india and and shurabindu doesn't refute this theory he he says it could be possible but aryan invasion is completely refuted Aryan invasion means they were Dravidians here with who were different and the Aryans came and fought with them and drove them away it this theory was propounded because the british wanted to rule here saying that we are you people are also invaders we are also invaders so it justified but it's not true but the rishi is about when the whole place is under ice so there is king manu and the rishi all others have gone so we all know about pralaya and all this so he asked what shall i do So first Rishi gives him many sides of the knowledge he has the cosmic knowledge so he tells him about what the world is what gods are what is everything and then at the end he speaks about the purpose of life guiding him so just a few lines from there I'll read I'm just randomly just taking a dip here and there so that you know we just uh, enjoy so this is page 236 page 237 So finally, he says, "You give me the command for me. I have understood all these occult worlds are there, and dimensions are there, subtle worlds are there, Shiva, Vishnu, Brahma, all of them are there. I have understood. But tell me, what is what I should do? <laughs> Because entire cosmology is one place. What is the command for me?" So Rishi tells him, "We are but sparks of that most perfect fire, waves of that sea. From him we come, to him we go." desire eternally and so long as he wills our separate birth is and shall be this idea of dissolving oneself into pralaya into nirvana and all this is this is an illusion as long as he wants you to be here no nothing can ultimately he has to decide and he has to make the choice shrink not from life what a powerful command shrink not from life o aryan but with mirth and joy receive his good and evil sin and virtue till he bids thee leave these were our forefathers when we look at the mahabharata and ramayana and we look at this period when people became very monastic just inner life and they forgot the outer inner life became inert life the people lolling in you know small little pockets where they are just you know very happy away from world not engaging with the world not pouring out their creative energies it's a pity you know india has fallen like that in india has a tendency that's why shubindo clarified that the word ashram here does not mean an escape from life everything of life is represented here uh, it's not like any other ashram where you see that people have a nice bhojan bhandar in some places where they grow vegetables and uh, nice places to eat meditate temple no it's not like that every aspect of life including cinema scandalizing <laughs> so everything can be uplifted and seen that way so shrink not from life but while thou livest perfectly fulfill thy part conceive earth as thy stage thyself the actor strong the drama his you are the actor be a strong actor don't be weak need and you know no no i want to escape i want to find a easy way out i want my comfort zone the burjua be a samurai the actor strong it is his drama he will decide but you be you know in essence on the gita when he says the command of krishna to arjuna so it is that he is describing work but the fruits to god alone belong who only is 
So work, work mightily, but know that everything belongs to him. Work, love and know, so shall thy spirit win immortal bliss. You want Ananda? Here is the way I am showing you. Work, love and know. And then we will be afraid what he is telling us. Love men. Ten commandments. <laughs> love men. Love God. Fear not to love, O king. Fear not to enjoy. Of course, enjoy is the highest of joys. In fact, in the synthesis, he describes that. He says, if you stifle the life's urge for joy, then you take away the possibility. So he says, refine the joy. For instance, instead of crude music, enjoy you know, very beautiful, like you have ragas and all this. Very beautiful. So learn to take the rasa of life. And then you make it subtle and more refined rather than suppressing the senses. Fear not to enjoy, for death's a passage. Grief a fancied thing. Fools to annoy from self-escape. Self with a small s and find in love alone a higher joy. So he's giving us a remedy. All sadness... He says, find in love alone a higher joy. So Manu says, this is the last bit. So it's like the final verdict he is revealing to us. O Rishi, I have wide dominion. The earth obeys and heaven opens far beyond the sun, her golden gaze. But him I seek, the still and perfect one, the sun not raised. So he thinks that Rishi is just telling him things that, you know, all these earthly joys, earthly love, but I am seeking the sun, not the rays. Tell me the right thing. <laughs> Don't misguide me. <laughs> so now the final word from the Rishi. Seek him upon the earth. Very powerful. Seek him upon the earth. For thee he set in the huge press of many worlds to build a mighty state. If you try seeking him at the ultimate, you will not even reach halfway through. But here on earth, in the human body, he dwells the supreme. This is the greatness of earth and men. Seek him upon earth. For man's success, who seeks his goal, perfect thy human mights. Look at the path of perfection. Whatever we are doing, strive towards perfection. Mastery, everything perfection includes. Perfect thy human might, perfect the race. For thou art he, O king. Where are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Thou art he, Tattvamasi. For thou art he, he, O king, only the night is on thy soul. By thy own will, remove it and recover the serene hole. That's all that is there. He is within us. You don't know it because there is an ignorance. Remove it. Thou art indeed. Recover the serene hole, thou art indeed. Then raise up man the lover to God the goal. When we look at these words, they are not words, you know, they are fire, living fire. We can catch it. It says yoga. And I keep telling, reading Shurabindu's poem particularly, even prose is yoga. But reading his poems is pakka yoga because it doesn't go through the discursive intellect. It's a pity when Shurabindu is discovered, you know, uh, he is um, discussed and debated in the typical academic way. It finishes. It's a yoga. It's coming from a yogi. It's not coming from an academic philosopher. It's coming from a yogi. And when we receive it like this, we grow in that consciousness. And then there is another poem. 
in the moonlight it's a very prophetic poem where he sees all about what is going to happen and how the iron age has ended and the golden age has come and how the vishnu sudarshan chakra has come to earth and it is enringing the earth and um, what we call as sin and evil is nothing but man's leavings from deep within this is man's progress for the iron age prepares the age of gold what we call sin is but man's leavings as from deep within the pilot guides him in his pilgrimage so these poems are not uh, just poems like we they are not even mystic poems or even spiritual poems there are they are what should be there seen there are some of them are very futuristic a vision of science where it describes all about uh, you know the future things which are going to come and then at the end after all playing with this mud man will say but who am i playing with all this <laughs> that's when the new age will begin so there are plenty of these then of course uh, as i was saying that there is um, this wonderful poem uh, one of my favorites is ilion ilion is a special poem we must say ilion shobindo started writing around 1909 possibly when he was in the jail and he continued it till almost 1937 so he was picking it up and leaving it 1913 several drafts 12 13 drafts of the poem and then he said uh, in 1913 that uh, it is complete actually it is incomplete in one sense but shirvindu speaks of it as complete and the thing about this poem is that um, it is set in the setting of the trojan war ilion is about is another name for troy it's a more archaic name it's like hastinapur so it based on or some god with indraprastha so based on god indra like that so it is ilion is based on the god ilios who is uh, the presiding deity of troy so it is about the troy and the trojan war it covers that period in homer's homer has written two books and one of them is the iliad iliad is actually about the war so iliad starts with you know achilles entering the temple with a fury and destroying everything it starts from there and it ends with actually the um, siege of troy by the you know by the greeks and uh, finally all that trojan horse must have heard about it then the other one is uh, odyssey odyssey is when the war is over and now odysseus who is the hero of the war like our uh, sort of like arjuna so he is returning back and he is returning back and he is experiencing the adventures so again in these narratives homer does tell us he homer is regarded as one of the greatest poets so he does tell us about few things here and there what was the background of the war why it happened but it starts from the war itself but what could have transpired before the war that is a missing part and that part should have been the fulfills in ilion it's a book nine books runs over nine books 130 pages and in 1937 there is a uh you know something in 1913 when he said that it's over it's because he would have wanted to you know give it more shape but then the arya came in and he became more and more busy then 1937 the world war started and he says if i only get some time i would complete savitri and ilion even then that is the importance he gave to the poem so 
amazing poem and its meter is the quantitative hexameter so 6 foot it to me it is like yamuna flowing that's my way of you know <laughs> looking at it <laughs> like this i feel whenever i read it so it in in this poem he has brought in new characters new understanding there is a um, i'll read just a bit of portion from there so lovely that portion has opened randomly so it uh, so there are several books like savitri you have several books so the first book is the book of the herald so he is describing the dawn it starts with dawn and how the dawn goddess comes and there is a description and there is a herald whom achilles has sent so all this is not there in homer so achilles has sent a herald that go and talk to priam so priam is the king of troy and all these greek tribes are there and achilles is one of them now achilles is a like a lone warrior so he is there not because of any other reason and he says that i am not here because i am slave to king i am not here because i am obeying this i am not here because of any high ideal of that kind i am here because i am impelled from within the gods have sent me that's how he says but he gives a peace offer to priam and the offer is i love your daughter get her married to me and then i will be with you and they it will asia and europe will unite that is his logic he says one is that i'll be happy achilles will stand by your side and greece and europe uh, asia and europe will unite because greece is you know that confluence turkey comes so he says that it will be the most wonderful thing and if i am on your side nobody ever will raise the eyes but if you refuse on one side i have brought the gift of achilles his peace and on the other side i have brought death in my right hand so you choose so this is the herald and herald has to convey all this and troy is also a mighty civilization so many of these characters as we know were there in shirbindo's even present life most likely it is said that he was paris himself and um, hector was dilip kumar roy that is for sure so he had this special thing for hector and um, this herald is going to convey this message of achilles very powerful it needs lot of guts to go and tell inside but they also respected the doot just like in india doot is not to be harmed or killed so he is carrying message of achilles choose his friendship or death no second thing <laughs> so shivin the describes in two words two uh, sentences or rather one sentence if we take it poem old and alone he arrived who is this he he is the herald who is carrying the message of achilles to the king so he is old he is alone old and alone he arrived insignificant feeblest of mortals he is very weak in himself he is a sarathi doot old and alone he arrived insignificant feeblest of mortals carrying fate in his helpless hands and the doom of an empire old and alone he arrived fee blessed but what is he carrying how destiny can choose he is carrying the fate of an empire or its doom why because actually such challenge and then he goes and um then he gives the background that nine long years have gone by and finally uh, you know actually is giving that offer and he tells them that look here this is what achilles has told me and i am conveying to you it's up to you to take it or leave it so here the words of achilles which he is conveying to them 
Asia joined with Greece, one world from the frozen rivers, trod by the hooves of the Scythian to farthest undulant Ganges. Justice contented, trace back her steps, and for brands of the burning, torches delightful shall break into Troy with the swords of the bridal. This if you agree to the marriage, huh? not otherwise. <laughs> I like a bridegroom. He is, after all, he is a son of a god. <laughs> god he is like Bhishma, you know. Our Bhishma is son of a goddess and a human. So he is son of the river and uh, a king. So that's how he is birthed, Achilles. And we know the Achilles heel because she had, her, his mother had dipped him into the river. Sticks that, you know, the sacred river of, uh, um, you know, Greek Greeks that, if I dip you, your whole body will be um, Vajra-like, Vajrang. You, nobody can kill you. But because he had held the heels, that spot remained weak. So that's why it's called Achilles heel. So that's where he is finally hit and he dies. Otherwise you can't kill him. He's got body of a god. So he says, I like a bridegroom will seize on your city and clasp and defend her. Safe from the envy of Argos, from Lacedaemonian hatred, safe from the hunger of Crete and the Locrians, violent rapine, all those, you know, tribes which are there. He says, I'll guard it safe from all these people. You don't have to then worry. You can sleep. I am alone is enough. But if you turn from my voice and you hearken only to Eris, Eris is the war god. So he says, if you want to turn only to him and not listen to me, Crying for battle within you, deluded by Hera and Pallas. They are all gods. Swiftly the fierce death surges shall close over Troy and her ramparts, built by the gods, shall be stubble and earth to the tread of the Helene. For to my tents I return not. I swear it by Zeus and Apollo. So he says, if you listen to me, fine. Otherwise you can call all the gods. <laughs> Look at it. Look at the man's. You can call all the gods. Hera, Pallas, I know. Ares, war god, you can call. Doesn't matter. But Troy will be reduced to rebels. This I promise you. Because I swear by Zeus, their greatest god, that I am not going to return back from here. Either you will be destroyed or you will marry me. So look at the might and the power and force and no wonder you know Shibindo identified with this Greek spirit which is so much like ancient Aryan spirit and then who so this is the assembly when you know at least word comes they are all silent because they know that he alone is it's like Bhishma you can't kill him so everybody is silent and then there is a voice that speaks and this is a character Shibindo has introduced largely and this is a lady who comes from Asia and her name is Penthesilia. So she says, what offer? And look at the words. Long answered aloud to the gods, the virgin Penthesilia. Now she is not speaking to mere men in the assembly, but to the gods. And what is this lady speaking? Long I had heard in my distant realms of the fame of Achilles, Ignorant still while I played with the ball and ran in the dances. So when I used to dance and you know play with ball, I had heard about Achilles. Thinking not ever to war 
but i dreamed of the shock of the hero i have loved him since that age what a hero what a hero i never thought that i will meet him in war so might a poet poet in land who imagines the rumor of ocean yearn with his lust for the giant upheaval the dances of hilltops toss of the yellow mane and the tawny march and the voices lion like claiming earth as a prey for the clamorous water so this greatness should have been though everywhere we see he never liked that littleness in human being whether it be littleness of heart littleness of thought littleness of action littleness of force everything should be great and mighty not the titanic but the god like so here is that god like movement so have i longed as i came for the cry and the speed of achilles i have come only for this i don't care what happens to you and others but he has lurked in his ships he has sulked like a boy that is angry he was angry he said what is this i have come to meet him and he is acting funny he is like a you know sulking glad am i now of his soul that arises hungry for battle glad whether victor i live or defeated travel the shadows one shall my spear have rung on the shield of the pythian achilles so he says i just want to fight once and pierce his shield with my spear after that i win or lose it doesn't matter because i wanted to meet him i love him but this fellow is just sulking he wants battle battle i am happy at least he has asked for battle look at the bhava behind and it ends with peace i desire not kali peace i desire not i came to a haughty and resolute nation honor and fame they cherish not life by the gift of a foeman i have not come to a nation who wants life begging at the door of a foeman just because achilles is giving a peace offer you want to receive it like a beggar no i have come to a nation that stands for honor and fame look at these lines and what these lines are magical anyways uh, this book probably will take up once as part of our collected poems and um, so there are many of these i'll um, close it with one of the poems which is the last uh, so there are plenty of sonnets we have read some of them these also a very interesting poem nonsense and surrealist verse ever heard of this now surrealist poetry is like you know you just let the subconscious come up with images randomly so you just let it come you know most of us so it's very funny i don't want to read it now otherwise you'll be splitting into laughter okay so it's about uh, i'll just maybe <laughs> so 658 uh, so just a few lines it's very interesting how what kind of experiments i mean nothing is uh, you know he says that i had always why he wrote philosophy was because he says it was not my interest but i have heard that uh, i had heard that a yogi can do anything so i took up that's how the life divine has come yogi can do anything so why not so he tried his hand his philosophy and what philosophy now people are only looking at it this is very very funny so um, 
I heard a foghorn shouting at a sheep and oh the sweet sound made me laugh and weep but ah the sheep was on the hither shore of the little less and the ever never more whatever it means <laughs> I sprang on its back it jumped into the sea I was near to the edges of eternity then suddenly the foghorn blared again there was no sheep it had perished of ear pain <laughs> I took a boat and steered to the far hoping to colonize the polar star <laughs> look at the surrealism of the nonsensical is taking a boat in the ocean to colonize the polar star so but there is always something in it but in the boat there was a dangerous goose whom some eternal idiot had let loose <laughs> to this wild animal i said not bow but it was not because i did not know <laughs> can you imagine this here bindu full soon i was on shore with a dreadful with dreadful squeals and the fierce biped cackling at my heels alarmed i ran into a lion's den why because goose dangerous goose so he is running into a lion's den <laughs> alarmed i ran into a lion's den and after me ran 3000 armored men <laughs> the lion bolted through his own back door and <laughs> and set up a morose dissatisfied roar at this my courage rose i grew quite brave and showed myself into a tiger's cave <laughs> the tiger snarled i thought it best instead to don my pajamas and go to bed <laughs> so i turned my eyes away from his grimace tiger is grimacing at night the beast began my back to claw <laughs> look at the image and growled out that i was his brother in law <laughs> i rose and thought it best to go away to a doctor's house besides it was nearly day the doctor shook his head and cried for a back pepper and salt are the remedy alack why because the tiger is clawed but i objected to his condiments and thought the doctor had but little sense then i returned to my own little cot for really things were now extremely hot and i looked about to find my dressing gown i was awake i had tumbled on the floor a shark was hammering at my front door now you see this is can you imagine and how should be the literally you know in this i see a kind of cosmos how in cosmos if you look at it it's crazy and there is joy in it and actually this is a very profound link but i don't want to get into it people say oh he is finding meaning in everything but there is a meaning even in the most surreal and nonsensical words but just look at the joy he brings out you know through a and finally the last poem let me read which he wrote there are in it three poems in greek uh, you know in french and as we know he wrote in tamil in sanskrit shurbindo uh, wrote in these i don't know whether he wrote in odia or not um, you know because uh, <laughs> my friends would like to know maybe he wrote we don't know but uh, they are not documented in bengali of course he wrote which have been uh, translated by nolnida but they are part of the bengali writings please read them they are amazing poems in bengali when we speak about bangla writings then we'll probably touch upon so let me close with this is the last poem and again we see autobiographical page 681 voice of the summits 
hear voice of the summits leap down from thy peaks of ineffable splendor so these are metrical experiments then shurbindo has done experiments on meters in english poetry which is something very interesting very new very creative because he had to bring out something new like mother's music mother has brought out new form of music which people are yet to understand the only one who could understand was sunilda and i think now few people are beginning to new forms of painting new forms of art so new idea so she has brought in this world new things and she wants patras vessels who can receive it rightly and manifest it here where i struggle alone unheeded of men and unaided here by the darkness down trod here in the midnight of god i have come down from the heights and the outskirts of heaven into the gulfs of god's sleep into the inconscient deep so it starts first poem is light and the last one is where he is entering into the dark inconscient all i had won that the mind can win of the word and the wordless knowledge sun bright forever and the spiritual crown of endeavor share in the thoughts of the cosmic self and its orders to nature cup of its nectar of bliss dreams on the breast of its peace but wait let me close with this poem rather it is about the silence is all and there he speaks of how to really in a way what really happens in these poems and how to really receive them so this is silence is all 644 yes silence is all say the sages silence watches the work of the ages in the book of silence the cosmic scribe has written his cosmic pages silence is all say the sages then people would say if that is all why did you write all this <laughs> So Shubhendra says, "What then of the word, O speaker? What then of the thought, O thinker?" So now he is saying, "What really it is? Thought is the wine of the soul, and the word is the beaker. So all the words they are beaker. What it contains is ananda." So when we read his poems, we get the touch of that first creative ananda. Poetry is meant to. bring out imitate mimic is not the right word but it actually brings out the first stir of creation which is the rhythmic word so it is the rhythm the vibration through which creation starts and it's delight so poetry is meant to capture that highest form of rhythmic word prose cannot capture it obviously because for prose it has to come down at the intuitive level pashyanti vak but poetry can capture it so that rhythm it captures and it expresses so poetry is regarded as the that's why in indian thought the vedic rishis who were poets were at once kavi and kritu they created by poetry that truth so poetry can actually create whatever we read in a poetic form has the power like the mantra it can create the deity thought is the wine of the soul so it is coming from the soul all the rasa and that rasa is given through words and the word is the beaker life is the banquet table all the experiences of life 
as the soul of the sage is the drinker. What of the wine, O mortal? I am drunk with the wine as I sit at wisdom's portal. How did I get this wine? By sitting at wisdom's portal. Waiting for the light beyond thought and the word immortal. Long I sit in vain at wisdom's portal. And then the last four lines. How shalt thou know the word when it comes? O seeker, how will you know that you have the word? How shall thou, thou know the light when it breaks, O witness? I shall hear the voice of the God within me and grow wiser and meeker. Humility is the sign of knowledge. So when I know, I is dropped and there is only the knower and the known, then we know. So he says that, how will I know? When we grow wiser and meeker, I shall be the tree that takes in the light as its food. I shall drink its nectar of sweetness. So this is, as um, Dara once wrote a doggerel, Life divine, mother's wine, it is out, let us shout. This is the wine of the supreme, this is ambrosia of the gods, the somras. And that too, concentrated and distilled somras, unadulterated, Shrivinda is giving straight to us. Through the beaker of words, which we can read fortunately. And to read it is to have all the effects that the somras has on man. Raso vaisaha, verily he is delight. And that delight is expressed best in poetry. His poetry. Thank you.